Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you. Truly, there is nothing better than you. And we desire you today. Lord, we thank you for your true and living word. And we thank you for your powerful and active spirit. And we thank you for your abundant love and grace toward us who believe in you and what you have done in Jesus. God, I submit myself to you, and I pray for your spirits working in our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, church family. It's great to see you. I'm Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at ICC. We are so thankful to have you with us this morning. We are so excited. Anybody else excited with me today to be kicking off a new series here at ICC and a new study in God's Word called Redeeming Grace, the study of the book of 2 Samuel. If you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to open them up to the Old Testament, to the book of 2 Samuel. We began the study in Samuel, which by the way, it was all originally one big book. It wasn't divided. We did that to it. Uh, But we started the study of the story uh, of this time in biblical history, this really important time, the beginning of the time of kings, but also a period that brought more revelation and more establishment of God's redemptive purposes. We began that uh, in the spring, and now we have opportunity to continue that in the fall. Through our times on Sundays, through our times living life together in intentional community and community groups, Uh, through opportunity to go deeper in God's Word each and every week with supplemental teaching. Every single week will be available on my podcast called Transform for Impact. And also, just in our personal study, we will have opportunity to grow to know more of God's Word in this season. And I would just encourage you this morning, and I'm talking to you, I would just encourage you, take take this opportunity seriously. Um, We have opportunity not just to know more of God's Word, but more of God as we study His Word. I don't know this morning if you saw, but if you're here today in your chairs, you saw these notebooks that were available. They've got a stamp of the series title on them. Uh, I would encourage you, whether you take notes in this, you're welcome to take these. These are our gift to you, or whether you find a way to take notes in some other way that you do what you can to be a student of God's Word, not just hearing, but really desiring to understand and apply God's Word in daily life. And also, in your chairs this morning, and these are also available online if you're not able to be here physically and pick them up, but uh, is a bookmark. And on this bookmark, front and back, is an outline of our entire study of the book of 2 Samuel for the fall. It also has passages that we'll be studying each and every week. And my encouragement would be, whether it's this bookmark that you keep and use, or whether it's going online to find the digital version of it, that you find a way to pre-read passages before you come on Sundays so that when we're together, we really have opportunity to not just be hearing it for the first time, but really be, again, seeking understanding and most importantly, seeking God. Well, if you've got your Bible, like I said, today we're going to be talking about uh, the, the subject, redemptive 
grace. And we're going to be specifically in the passage of 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1, and we're going to be looking at all the way through chapter 2, verse 7, redemptive grace. And the subtitle of today's message is Hope in Brokenness. I don't know about y'all, but there are some days that just feel especially broken. There are some days that just feel especially broken. And not only that, there are some moments that feel especially bewildering. And not only that, there are some seasons in our lives that feel especially difficult. I think I could speak for almost all of us. This week has been hard. In our world, in our nation, um, and it's, it's hard on top of what feels like a lot of hard lately. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Even just this week in our church family, I can say um, we have had more deaths that are related to ICC members in this past week than I remember in a long time. It's just hard. We've had uh, one of our dear, dear friends and church members uh, diagnosed with cancer this week. Hard. Um, there are some days that feel especially broken. There are some moments that feel especially bewildering. And there are some seasons that feel especially difficult. You with me? I know this resonates deeply with many of us today. And today, in the passage that we're going to be looking at in God's Word, we're going to realize that it also resonates deeply with the nation of Israel and deeply with David, too. And today, we're going to talk about brokenness. But we're not only going to talk about brokenness, we're also going to talk about hope. <laughs> in your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 1, and I start in verse 1, we're going to be reading from the English Standard Version. God's Word says, After the death of Saul, when David had returned from striking down the Amalekites, David remained two days in Ziklag. And on the third day, behold, a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. And when he came to David, he fell to the ground and he paid homage. Now David said to him, where do you come from? And he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, how did it go? Tell me. And he answered, the people fled from the battle, and also many of the people have fallen, and, and they're dead. And Saul and his son, Jonathan, are also dead. Then David said to the young man who told him, how do you know that Saul and his son, Jonathan, are dead? And the young man who told him said, by chance, I happened to be on Mount Gilboa, and and there was Saul leaning on his spear. And behold, the chariots and the horsemen were, were close upon him. 
And when he looked behind him, he he saw me and and he called to me. And I answered, here I am. And he said to me, who are you? And I answered him, "I, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me, stand beside me and kill me for anguish has seized me, and and yet my life still lingers. So I stood beside him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the armlet that was on his arm, and, and I have brought them here to you, my Lord. And David, David took a hold of his clothes, and he tore them. And, And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned, and they wept, and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan, his son, and for the people of the Lord, and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And David said to the young man who told him, where do you come from? And he answered, I am the son of a sojourner and a Malachite. And David said to him, how is it that you were not afraid to put out your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? And then David called one of the young men and said, go and execute him. And he struck him down so that he died. And David said to him, your blood be on your head for Your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and Jonathan, his son, and he said it should be taught to the people of Judah. Behold, it is written in the book of Jeshar. He said, Your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen! Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised exult. You mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fields of offerings, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. Saul and Jonathan, beloved and lovely, in life and in death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. You daughters of Israel, weep over Saul who clothed you luxuriously in scarlet, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan lies slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went up there, and his two wives also, 
Anoam of Jezreel, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And when they told David, it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul. David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you. And I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul your Lord is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. This is God's word. Some days feel especially broken. Some moments feel especially bewildering. And some seasons feel especially difficult. If you look at your Bible, 2 Samuel chapter 1, and you look specifically at verses 11 and 12 in your Bible, I want you to notice, and more importantly, I want you to feel. Sometimes when we read the Bible, we read it academically, but it's a very personal story. These are real things. Some of the things that have happened in your life, maybe you can relate to moments like this. The brokenness, the brokenness of this moment. Verse 11 and 12 says, after David heard the news of Saul and Jonathan's death, he took hold of his clothes and he tore them. This is an expression in the Old Testament often of extreme grief, extreme agony of the soul. I don't know if you've ever had a moment where you've lashed out, maybe torn clothes, you're so angry, or maybe you've just felt like punching a bag or just wailing. Um, this is the moment that David was having. Some days are especially broken. And so did all the men who were with him, and they mourned, and they wept, and they fasted for Saul and Jonathan, the son, for the people of the Lord and the house of Israel. Some days Here's a day, especially broken. If you can't tell already, um, the book of 2 Samuel, all right, that we're studying today, picks right up with where the book of 1 Samuel ended, okay? Um, and you, just for a minute of reminder and summary, it picks up with a discussion. I mean, all of this, this emotion here is around a character here named Saul. Now, who is Saul? For those of you who were with us in the spring, I hope you can answer the question. For those of you who are new with us in this journey, what we can say is Saul, um, he was the first appointed king of the nation of Israel. 
As Israel demanded a king, out of the time of Judges, they, they wanted a king to rule over them like other nations. And as much as it grieved God's heart, he relented and he gave them opportunity to have a king. And Saul was indeed that guy that was appointed to be the first king of Israel, chosen by God, recognized by the people, and coronated to rule over the nation of Israel, over God's people. But if you look at Saul's story, here's what I could say. It's a tragic one. On the outside, if you look at Saul just as a person, I mean, he's been given nothing but opportunity. If you look at him from the outside, he's heads above other men. People, I mean, literally, like physically, he's tall, all right? He's good looking. Some might say he looks like me, but, you know, that would just be your own opinion. I'm just playing you guys. He's handsome. He's winsome. He's strong. He's a natural leader. He's got some real skills, it seems. You can see in, even in David's lament, which, by the way, uh, I'll deal with in the podcast this week, how to deal with grief in a godly way. But even in people who have hurt us greatly, there can be opportunities to find opportunities to see something good. And there were some good things that, that Saul did for the nation. There were some skills that he had. And he was given this incredible opportunity by God to step up, to take on the mantle of as a man of God who had a heart for God and would lead God's people after God's heart. He had nothing but opportunity. So from the outside, everything looked like this was a guy who had it all together. But if you look at Saul's story, the verse that was told that we read when Samuel anointed David as the next king, you remember what he said? Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. You might look like you have it all together on the outside, and Saul certainly did, but he was kind of like a Gaston. Y'all know what I'm talking about from Beauty and the Beast? <laughs> he looked like he had it all together, but on the inside, on the inside, he was empty. If you look at his life, his heart, his words, his leadership, he was scared. He was insecure. He was jealous. He was angry. He was rebellious. All of these things come from something deep, deep, deep in his heart that went terribly wrong, and that is this. He rebelled against the Lord. When given the opportunity to lead with a heart for God and to lead in the empowerment of God, Saul said no to God and went his own way. When given specific instructions of how to follow God, how to obey him and bring glory to God, he chose rather to disobey and to bring glory to himself. He lived as a man and as a leader far from God. And he lived and led as though God did not exist. Even knowing that he would die, knowing that the kingdom would be taken from him. And remember, at the end of Samuel, he got a prophecy that if this continued, he was going to be killed and his sons are going to be killed. It was going to meet a tragic end. Yet he hardened his heart and kept self-centered and fighting until the very end. And what we learn is if you look at 1 Samuel chapter 31, and there's another passage in Chronicles that details the same account. What this Amalekite 
tells David, some of you might be asking, how do you square three passages about Saul's death and they seem to contradict? Well, the way you square it is this, the Amalekite in chapter one is lying. He's not telling David the truth. He's thinking that he's gonna get something from David because he's killed David's enemy, and what he doesn't know is David had many opportunities to take Saul into his own hands, to take his future into his own hands, and what he knew was it wasn't his to control, but it was God's. So the Amalekite completely misread what he thought was an opportunity, and it turned into his own tragedy. But what we know is true about the way Saul's life ended was that he ended his own life. If you look at 1 Samuel chapter 31, if you've got your Bibles and you're willing to flip back just a chapter, I want to show you the end of this life of Saul and the leadership of Saul and the tragedy that it is. I didn't cover this specifically because I knew that as we taught 2 Samuel, I wanted to, to allow this to be the way that our current study opens because it connects the dots. But if you look at 1 Samuel 31, starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel. And the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. And the Philistines overtook Saul and his sons. And the Philistines struck down Jonathan and Abinadab and Malachishua and sons of Saul. And the battle pressed hard against Saul. And the archers found him. And he was badly wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and, and thrust me through with it lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and mistreat me. But his armor bearer would not, for he feared greatly. Therefore, Saul took his own sword and he fell upon it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell upon his sword and he died with him. And thus Saul died and his three sons and his armor bearer, and all his men on the same day together. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those beyond the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they abandoned their cities and they fled. And the Philistines came and lived in them. Imagine you're there, <laughs> the aftermath of battle, a place of horror, a place of massacre, bodies all over the ground, battle turns against Saul. And to give him credit, just like David lamented, he was a mighty warrior. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. That's one thing David could say that was true. He was a mighty warrior. But in the hardness of his own heart, rather than repent, he just kept fighting. Not only fighting God, but fighting all the enemies and trying to do it in his own hands. He was willing to fight. Whether it was for Israel or for himself, I'll never know. But Saul and his army ends up in a full-on retreat, and they're overtaken. And the Philistines kill not just one, not just two, but all three of his sons, including Jonathan, who had such a sincere heart for God, and such a deep friendship with David. And then it says the archers, one of the arrows hit Saul, and he's badly wounded. 
He can't escape. He's dying. He feels his sons are beside him. It's just so sad. And he cries out, trying to get somebody else to do, finish him off, essentially. And the armor bearer won't. He respects the Lord and respects his position too much. And rather than suffering dignity or the death of the enemy, he takes his own life. Friends, I don't know how you see this other than a tragedy, okay? His heart far from God. His life and his leadership lived in rebellion against God. His unwillingness to repent, even until the end, as far as we know. And friends, it's a tragic story that has so much loss and so much impact. Friends, we do ourselves and others no favors than to try to ignore when we have been wounded to ignore when we have experienced grief or to ignore when things are really broken. We have to come to terms with the brokenness of what is within us, what has happened to us, what is around us. The impact and the loss of of Saul's life, there's impact for himself. That in in and of itself is a huge tragedy. Thinking about him and his own rebellion against the Lord, but it's not only for himself, it's also for his sons. Right? I mean, you can't help but look at the story, especially what we know of Jonathan and his sincere heart for the Lord and his loyalty to the Lord and loyalty to David. How sad that his life has to end in this way. But it's not only for Saul and for his sons, but listen, friends, it's also for the nation. It's also for, for the nation. I mean, Saul is the king of Israel, if, if you look at the lament, if you look at your Bibles and go back to 2 Samuel now, I'm going to do some perusing here in 2 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Part of David's lament, and by the way, in the podcast, I'll try to help you know how to lament well, but part of David's lament says, your glory, O Israel, is slain on your high places. In other words, this is a grief for the nation. This is a this is, they've just lost their king, their key leader. It would be like the president of the U.S. getting assassinated. No matter what you think about him, it is a loss for the nation. And it's an embarrassment that they're falling at the hands of the Philistines, who God could have given them victory over if they had been walking in his way. Oh, how the mighty have fallen. If you look at verse 21, We see reference to, for there the shield of the mighty was defiled, the shield of Saul. He's pointing out that Saul had done some good things for the nation. You might be hard-pressed to find it, but there are opportunities, even in the worst of people, to try to find some reason for gratitude and something of their contribution. Even in verse 22 and 23, he talks about Saul being beloved and lovely, and in life and death they were not divided, this relationship of father and son. They were swift to their eagles, again, talking about their military pursuits. They were stronger than lions. If you go on to the next verse in 24 and 25, he talks about apparently there were some good things happening in the economy because he's asking the women, 
to weep over the loss of some of that leadership and how the mighty have fallen. The impact and loss, not only for Saul, not only for his sons, but also for the nation. But there's also one who's been very personally impacted, and I'm so thankful for the Bible and how it speaks truth, because many of us know in very broken situations, yes, you can look at it at the macro, but you could also look at it at the micro, and you look at it within yourself, and you have to be honest sometimes. I'm hurting. This has affected me. And in the midst of this national story, there's a personal story of who? David. For himself, Saul, for his sons, for the nation, but also the impact and loss has affected David. Losing his boss, former boss, losing his leader, but also with Jonathan, losing his best friend. In, in, in some tragic deaths, I also just want to say there's also loss to be grieved in this. Sometimes it's not just the death itself, but like with the death of Saul, he also loses the opportunity to hear an apology. That's a loss to be grieved. He also loses the opportunity to receive reconciliation. He loses the opportunity to see a different ending than he had hoped. Impact and loss. Friends, some days feel especially broken. Some moments here in this moment receiving this news for David, and I'm trying to relate it to you because this is not just David's story, this is our story. Some moments feel especially bewildering. And some seasons feel especially difficult. You might be thinking, wow, so glad I came today. But here's the thing. Here's the thing, you guys. But the story does not end here. <laughs> But the story does not end here. The end of the story is not determined by Saul, but God. The end of this story, friends, is not determined by the worst of man, but rather by the best of God. Aren't you thankful? Friend, the end of the story is not determined by brokenness, but by God. Some days feel especially broken. Can I get a witness? But friends, I've got news for you. I've got good news for you from God and Jesus Christ today. The end of the story is not the especially broken days. The end of the story is God. Like in Psalm chapter 30, verse 5, second part, we read promise, these psalms written by David and other psalmists. We know that in these moments where their heart is and where their hope is, Here's the story, here's the psalm. Weeping may tarry for the night, 
Some days feel especially broken. But the story's not over, is it? But joy comes with the morning. Some days feel especially broken, but friends, brokenness is not the end of the story. God is. And he is a God of hope. Friends, the end of the story is not determined not only by brokenness, but it's also not determined by bewilderment. The end of the story is not determined by bewilderment. Those moments where you go, what is happening here? You know, where you just feel like you can't even make sense of it. Friends, I've got good news for you from God and Jesus Christ. The end of the story is not the moments that you feel so bewildered. The end of the story is God. He was a God of hope. Passages like Psalm 42, verse 11 where the Bible teaches us in moments of bewilderment. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? In other words, why are you feeling so bewildered? First, the first thing, you've got to be honest about what you're feeling. We do at times feel bewildered, do we not? But we take that to the Lord and we say, but I know the end of the story is not bewilderment. The end of the story is you. And God, my hope is in you, God. For again, I will praise him, my salvation and my God. In other words, I know that while it feels like everything is spinning out of control, I've got an anchor, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is my salvation, and he is my God. The end of the story, friends, is not brokenness, but God. It's not bewilderment, but God. And friends, i got to tell you something else. The end of the story is also not difficulty, but God. <laughs> Some days feel especially broken, yes. Some days feel especially bewildered, yes. Some days feel, and some seasons feel especially difficult, yes. But friends, I got good news for you from God and Jesus Christ. The difficulty is not the end of the story, it's God. And God is a God of hope. The Bible says this, like in Psalm chapter 30, verse 2. Oh, Lord, my God. I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. In the middle of the greatest difficulties, the most overwhelming circumstances, the greatest needs in your life, the greatest seasons of despair, friends, we are not without hope because the end of the story is not the circumstance or the need or the difficulty. The end of the story is God and his help and his hope. God is the end of the story. Some days feel especially broken, some feel especially bewildering, some seasons feel especially difficult, but the end is not the brokenness, the bewilderment, or the difficulty. The end is God. And God is a God of hope. There's one more thing I gotta tell you. Some of you might be thinking in this study, you're going, okay, so we're, there, there's hope, um, and oh, I'm, this, I mean, Saul was terrible, like his heart, his leadership, like, yeah, like, aren't we ready to get a new leader 
in Israel. Anybody in the story at this point just going, aren't we ready for David, right? For any of us who know something about David, you, you could be tempted to think hope is on the horizon because David is about to be named king. <laughs> Anybody feel that way? Like getting excited about David? I have something to tell you, friends. The end of the story is not determined by David. <laughs> the reason that hope is on the horizon is not because of David. It's because of God. In other words, I could substitute here. The end of the story is not determined by your ability to get it right, but rather God's ability to bring hope for all who recognize their brokenness and call out to him for his grace. Do you see the difference? For anybody here who thinks that we're about to get into a story and I'm going to tell you that David is this awesome hero of the story and oh my goodness, how things change because oh how great David was, you're going to be sorely disappointed because this series is not going to point you to David as a hope. This series, my teaching and our teaching together is going to point you to God as the hope. David is not the hero of 2 Samuel. God is the hero of 2 Samuel. Sometimes we think too much about how much we add to the story. <laughs> but friends, let me tell you something. What made David a great leader for the nation of Israel, and he was a great leader, was not that he got it all right, but that he hoped in God who would be gracious. We'll talk more about that in a second. See, let me tell you, let me say this. I've been saying the end of the story is not the brokenness, the bewilderment. It, it's not the difficulty. It's not even what we bring to the table. It's God. And let me get more specific this morning. A major theme that we're going to be seeing all throughout this book is this. God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace. Aren't you thankful that God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace? A couple of things I just want to point out uh, what I'm trying to say here is the center of the story is God. He's the hero. In all of this, he's the hope. The subtitle of today's message, Hope and Brokenness. Friends, you want to know what hope and brokenness is? It's knowing that God is here. God is our hope in brokenness. God is a faithful God. He's a God who when he gives a word, he keeps a word. And we're going to see this as we study the book. David's hope was that he knew that God meant what he said. He was dependable for what he had promised. And it should be your hope too. God is a God who is not only faithful, but a redeemer. One of the names of God is Jehovah Rapha. It's revealed to the people in the midst of a really broken situation in Exodus. And what he says is, I am the God who forever was and who is today and who forever will be a God who is a healer. He is a great physician. He is a restorer. 
He's a God who takes broken things and he brings repair. He takes sick things and he brings healing. He takes bitter things and he turns them sweet. Our God is a God of redemption. And I don't know about you, but friends, you need to hear that today. There are parts of our hearts, parts of our lives, parts of our stories that are so stinking broken that there is no hope or possibility of us ever fixing it. Only God could fix our brokenness. And we have hope because we know that God is a restorer and a redeemer for those who trust in him and Jesus Christ. Aren't you grateful? And not only that, but he's a God of grace. We sing the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, but it gets so trite sometimes because we're so familiar with the tune, but do you really feel in your gut, and I'm going to be asking you to feel in your gut all through this season of 2 Samuel, do you know how wonderful God's grace truly is? We deserve nothing, and He has given everything. We were in poverty, and He gave riches. We were in rebellion, and He gave restoration of relationship. We were in sin and he brings forgiveness. Our God is a God who heaps on the riches of what we do not deserve. Friends, that is called grace. And it is by grace that we are saved and kept in relationship with God. When I say to you, the end of the story is not brokenness, it's not bewilderment, it's not difficulty. The end of the story is God. What I'm saying to you is the end of the story is hope because God is a faithful God. God is a redeeming God and God is a grace-filled God in Jesus Christ. And if you put your hope in Him in the midst of brokenness and bewilderment and difficulty, friends, you can know that the present moment is not the end, but God, who He is and what He's done and what He's promised God is. And isn't that good news? That's why I called this sermon Redemptive Grace. <laughs> you might go, well, that's just taking the series title and turning it into a sermon title. You're right. <laughs> because the series title is meant to reflect a summary of what we're going to see in this whole book ahead. And I want you to see it. I want you... <laughs> Every single week that we're together in worship, and I want you to be with us, and I want you to anticipate, but what we're going to be heralding is we have a God of redemption and a God of grace, and He is our hope. He is our hope. Hope and brokenness is God and who God is for us in Jesus Christ. I'll close by just pointing you to the broad theme of the book, and then we're going to have a time of response. But I want to show you the detailed theme of this book. I know it's going to take a second for you to write it down if you're taking notes, but just go ahead and do it, please. I would just encourage you to do it. I might even need to play a little tune or something to give you a second to actually write it down. But here's what we're going to see as we go through this book. David is a man by the way, he becomes a king who's after God's heart and who desires to lead a people after God's heart. Though David's rule is marred with conflict and personal sin and family trouble, 
God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace. Amen. I want to say it again after you have a moment to try to finish writing this down. David is a man after God's heart who desires to lead a people after God's heart. Though David's rule is marred with conflict, personal sin, and family trouble, God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace. I want to go through a piece at a time just real quickly as you're writing. For those of you who are not done yet, don't get mad because it's going to stay on the screen. Here we go. When I say David is a man after God's heart, if you look at your Bibles in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, I just want to show you real briefly how we begin to see this evidenced. Look how different David is from Saul. After this, it says in verse 1, after this, in other words, after this time of weeping and mourning and brokenness, his first response, now he has known that God has anointed him to be the next king. He's known that there's a day coming that he will have opportunity to lead, but David doesn't assume. He doesn't take things into his own hands, but rather he continues to submit himself to God. And we'll see this all through the book. After this, David inquired of the Lord. He's going to God. He's going to God. He is a man after God's heart. But he also is a man, if you go back to the definition, that not only is after God's heart, he wants to lead a people after God's heart. We can underline the second phrase. He desires to lead a people after God's heart. And we can see this evidence even in these first verses of uh, 2 Samuel chapter 2, verses 3 to 5. Because after David brings his men up with him, everybody in his household, and they, they end up living in the town of Hebron. This is in Judah. And the men of Judah, now Judah is one of the 12 tribes of Israel. This is really important for those of you who are really desirous to understand the story. And here's what I'm about to say. What happens is, as David gets to Judah, now Judah are like his hometown people. This is like you go into your hometown, okay? These are your people. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Some of y'all are like, yeah, that's my people. These are David's people. This is his tribe. He's of the tribe of Judah. They come and recognize that God has made him king, and they go ahead and establish him as king. But don't get it wrong. This is not David beginning to rule over Israel because it's only Judah recognizing him, one of the 12 tribes, as their leader. But as they do that, he learns that these men of Jabesh-Gilead who took Saul's body from the body from the battlefield and buried his body and the others. And he sends messengers to them and he says to them here in verse 6, may you be blessed by the Lord because you showed this loyalty to Saul your Lord and you buried him. Now may the Lord show you steadfast love and faithfulness to you and I will do good to you because of this good thing you've done and let your hands be strong and your hearts be valiant. This is just one example, but what I'm trying to do is say even here from the beginning we see David's heart for God But we also see that David wants, he seems to have a sincere heart, not to make much of himself, but rather even in the midst of rewarding people for what they've done and thanking them, he's saying, I pray that you'd know more of God in these ways. 
okay? But let's go back to the theme because I've told you that if you think that this is a book about David being a hero, David being the, the nation's hope, you're wrong because one of the things that we're going to explore, and it's not all going to be today, it's going to be you coming back week after week and following along with this teaching in this series. But as we look at David's life, friends, I got news for you. He ain't perfect. In fact, he's about as messy and broken as, well, you and me. David's reign is anything but pretty. We're going to see conflict. I mean, big, crazy conflict. We're going to see personal sin, some stories that you already know might come to mind in David's life. And we're going to see trouble all up and down his family. And I know you never can relate to that. But in the midst of it all, friends, we're going to recognize that the difference is not that David is more righteous than Saul in the sense of his own doing. The story is going to change, but it's not because of anything that David does. It's more about David's recognition of his brokenness and need for God's grace and David's willingness to keep going and going and going to God. Because David knows, and I want you through this season to know too, this last point here, that the hope of his life and the hope of the nation is this, that God is faithful to redeem his people and to fulfill his covenant of grace. David's hope, and friends, yours too, <laughs> is not self, but God. Friends, as I close today, I just want to say this. Ultimately, we have to understand that as we look at God being faithful and God being a redeemer and God being gracious, here's what you have to know. God has shown faithfulness and redemption and grace, namely in one. Here it is, in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ. Friends, if you want to know where hope is, some days are broken. Some moments are bewildering, some seasons are difficult, but friends, you want to know true hope and brokenness. Hope has a name. Hope is not a feeling. Hope is not an object. Hope is not some destination or idea. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Chuck Swindoll in his book on David made an incredible parallel that almost brought me to tears. He said, you know, it's interesting. There's a contrast in two deaths. You know, you got this tragedy with Saul and his life and his leadership and his death, and as he dies, it appears to be the end of all national hope. In Saul's death, it feels like in the moment that the adversary has won the final victory. But ultimately, friends, we know that's not true. And the primary way we can know that's not true is by looking at another death, and that's the death of Jesus Christ. 
Because in the death of God himself for us, after he lived for our righteousness, he went to the cross for our forgiveness, for our redemption, that he might be faithful and redeeming and gracious for all who trust in him. And upon the cross, we don't see the end of national hope. We see the beginning of hope eternal for all who believe. And on the cross, it, it looks for a moment. And friends, there are moments that feel broken and bewildering and difficult. And on the cross, the disciples all scattered for a moment. The clouds hovered and it got really dark. And you might have thought the adversary won. But friends, after three days, Jesus, who was crucified, rose from the dead. And he lives today. And friends, with his death and resurrection, the adversary does not have the final say anymore. Jesus does. And he is hope for all who trust him. Praise God. Aren't you thankful? This is why 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5 says, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, because according to his mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living what? Hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power were being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in this we rejoice, though now for a little while, moments are broken, things feel bewildering, seasons feel difficult. For a little while you might be grieved by various trials, but so the testing and the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you do not see him now, some days feel broken, some moments feel bewildering, some seasons feel difficult. Though we don't see him now, we believe in him and we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory and obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Aren't you thankful for hope? 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18 says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away on the inside, we're being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction, some days feel broken, some moments feel bewildering, some seasons feel difficult. This light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, namely Jesus Christ, who is our hope. For the things seen are transient, but the things unseen are eternal. My prayer for you in this series is the prayer that comes straight out of the Bible from Romans 15, 13. And I plan to pray it over you on Sundays and also personally as we pray for you as elders throughout the week. But our prayer in this season of redeeming grace is this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Father, I thank you for your hope. Lord, I know today that there are many here who are in the middle of a day that just feels broken. 
of a season that just feels bewildering and difficult. Oh God, help us to be honest about this brokenness, about this bewilderment, about these difficulties. Lord, they are real, and you understand and you care for us. There are moments like with David that just feels like we need to rip our clothes and cry. But God, we have been reminded today from you that the end of the story is not brokenness or bewilderment or difficulty. The end of the story is you, God. And you are a faithful God. And you are a redeeming God. And you are God of grace. You are God of hope. Your name is Jesus. And we look to your death, Jesus, not Saul's as our hope. We look to you and we see what you've done in your life and death and resurrection. And though we don't see you, oh, we love you and we hope in you. God, in the brokenness of our hearts and lives, may we be people who hope in you. Oh, God, I pray today for those who have not yet hoped in you in a real and personal a sincere way, God, that right now at this moment, Holy Spirit, you would break them Help us, help none of us in this room be like Saul who closes our heart to you and tries to do it our own way. Oh God, the end of that is tragedy. The beginning of life is a willingness to be broken and a willingness to cry out for your mercy in Jesus Christ. And God, you can save and give grace to all who call out to you. And I pray right now, even now, you'd bring salvation to some who are here who just say, I need hope and I need Jesus and believe upon him that he is sufficient in his grace, life, death, and resurrection. He is sufficient to forgive and to save and to heal and restore you back to God. For the rest of us, oh God, we just need you right now in this moment. All of us are facing different things, but we all need hope in you. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in the local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.